Masechus Shabbos Perek Zayin Mishnah Aleph until Perek Zayin Mishnah Dalad. The seventh Perek of Masechus Shabbos is really an opening and a grounding for the entire Masechta, because it's in this Perek where we see all the forbidden types of work on Shabbos and the consequences for somebody who does any of those forbidden works. Now, as you mentioned in the introduction to the Masechta, if one performs a type of work which is forbidden on Shabbos intentionally, then he is Chayv Misa. He receives the death penalty, as long as there are witnesses and he was warned not to do it. Otherwise, he'll just be killed by Hashem, not by the base then. But if he breaks Shabbos unintentionally, and that means that he didn't realize that what he was doing was forbidden, so in that case, he is obligated to bring a korban chatos, a sin offering, for breaking Shabbos. The focus of our Mishnah is to understand how many of these korbanos does one have to bring for breaking Shabbos. And so the Mishnah begins, Klal Godel Umba Shabbos, they said a great rule, an important rule with regards to Shabbos. Firstly, Shabbos. Anybody who forgets the entire mitzvah of Shabbos, and there's a discussion in the Gemara as to whether this includes somebody who never knew about Shabbos at all, for example, somebody who grew up amongst non-Jews from the beginning of his life, or whether it is only talking about people who once knew about Shabbos, but at this particular point they have no idea about the entire mitzvah of Shabbos, and they forget its entire existence. Now, if he doesn't know at all about the mitzvah of Shabbos, then obviously he would have done a lot of malachas on a lot of Shabbosas. He would have broken Shabbos many, many times on many different weeks as well. Nevertheless, says the Mishnah, he is only obligated to bring one carbon chatos. And the reason for this is because really all of the Avedas which he did were a result of one unintentional thing, that he didn't know about Shabbos. It's not as if he knew about Shabbos, but then each time he broke Shabbos he forgot about it. Rather, he literally didn't know about Shabbos at all, or he totally forgot about Shabbos, but that was his mistake. And that was what caused all of the Averas, and because there was only one cause, he is only liable to one Korban Chatos. Secondly, says the Mishnah, Shabbos, one who knows the main mitzvah of Shabbos, he knows about the concept of Shabbos, and that it is forbidden to do work on Shabbos, but for also Malachas Harbeh, Shabbos Harbeh, he still ended up doing lots of malachas on lots of different Shabbosas. And the reason is because he forgot that that day was Shabbos. And he did that a few weeks in a row. And each Shabbos he would violate Shabbos many times because he forgot it was Shabbos. And then let's say he would realize during the week that Oy vey, I forgot it was Shabbos. But then he did the same thing again the next Shabbos. But the point over here is that the mistake and the cause of his violations of Shabbos was that day itself. Every week was another one mistake. And therefore, Chayla Kol Shabbos Shabbos will have to bring a Korban Chatos for each Shabbos. Even if he did lots of violations of Shabbos, he will only need to bring one Korban per Shabbos. Now, thirdly, says the Mishnah, Shabbos. If somebody does know that it is Shabbos that day, and still, he did lots of different Malachas on lots of different weeks, lots of different Shabbosas. The reason being that he didn't realize that this was something which was forbidden on Shabbos. So in that case, he is obligated to bring Korban Chatos for each Av Malacha, for each category of work that he violated. Now in this case, even if let's say he cut grass on two different Shabbosas because he didn't realize that it was forbidden, he is only liable to one Korban Chatos even though he did it on two different Shabbosas. And the reason for this is because his entire mistake was based on a cause. What was that cause? It was the fact that he didn't know that this was forbidden. So even if that resulted in multiple violations of Shabbos, since it all came from one cause, he will only need to bring one Korban Chatos. Now the Mishnah ends off with something which will lead us into the next Mishnah, and that is, If somebody does lots of forms of work, which are all part of one category of work, 
says the Mishnah, he is only obligated to bring one carbon chatos for the one category of work which he did. Since they are all part of the same category, it's viewed as doing the same malacha multiple times, and since you didn't know that that malacha was forbidden, that that category of work was forbidden, you will only need to bring one carbon chatos. Now it's important to note that this is only true if all of the malachas which he did were damned behelem echod, which literally means in one hiddenness, which means that he didn't realize his mistake in between doing both of those things. But if let's say he did one malacha, then found out that it was forbidden, and then did the same thing again, or something else in the same category. In that case, he needs to bring two different carbonus, since there were two causes this time. He forgot about it twice, but separately. And therefore, in that case, he would need to bring another carbon chatos for the second malacha which he performed. Mishnah base. Others malachas abram achas. The father categories of work which are forbidden on Shabbos are abram achas. Forty minus one, meaning thirty-nine. There are thirty-nine main categories of forbidden work on Shabbos, and these are the thirty-nine malachas which were done in order to prepare and build the Mishkan during the Jewish people's journey through the desert. And since the Torah's commandment to keep Shabbos is placed right next. To to the commandment to build the Mishkan. We learn from there that the 39 things which were used to build the Mishkan, those 39 activities, are the 39 categories of forbidden activities on Shabbos. Now within each of these Avos Malachas, within each Av, each main category of work, there are many different Toldois, secondary forms of work which are very similar, just that they were not performed in the Mishkan itself. And it's very important to realize that the Av Malacha and the Toldah are both equally forbidden. They are both forbidden with Araisa, and the only difference between an Av and a Toldah is with regards to Carbonus and how many Carbonus you'll have to bring, as we explained in the end of the previous Mishnah. Now the first 11 of these 39 Malachas refer to the 11 stages which are necessary in order to bake bread. Now although of course there was no bread which was baked for the Mishkan itself, as part of the construction of the Mishkan, there were dyes which were used in order to colour many parts of the Mishkan, and many of these dyes came from herbs, and so these 11 steps would be used to turn the herbs into dyes as well. It's just that the Mishnah lists the 11 Malachas in terms of bread, because that's much more of a common thing to be baked and to be processed, but these Malachas do parallel the Malachas and the steps in order to make dye. So the first of those is Hazereya, one who sows seeds or he plants trees, that would be the main Av Malacha. And the Toldois, the secondary parts of this category, would include things which stimulate growth. For example, if you water the plants, that would be a Toldois of Zereya, the Hachiresh, ploughing, which is digging a hole across the entire field in order to prepare it for planting. And although ploughing is generally done before the planting, the reason why the Mishnah puts it afterwards is to teach that if somebody ploughed the ground and then planted it, but found that after he planted it, the ground was still too hard, and it needed to be ploughed again in order to soften the ground, so one is equally liable for this second ploughing, just like he is for the first ploughing. Fine. Thirdly, Vahakitzer, harvesting, cutting off any fruit or grain from where it is growing, Bahama Amer gathering all of the grain and the fruit into piles after they've been detached from the plant. Hadosh threshing, separating out the various parts of the grain. And secondary parts of this malacha include lots of things, such as squeezing fruit for their juice, specifically squeezing grapes or olives, because that is detaching the juice or the oil from the original fruit. Number six, the Hazira winnowing. This involves throwing up the grain into the air, so that the heavier parts of the grain, which is what one wanted, the actual edible parts of the grain, that would sink to the bottom, whereas the lighter parts of the grain, which were typically the leaves and the stems, the bits which one did not want, 
those would be blown away by the wind, and that way they would be left with the parts of the grain which they wanted. Number seven, Habirer, separating and selecting out the parts of the grain which one didn't want. For example, if there were any stones left with the grain, they would be removed by the process of Birer. Number eight, Hatuichin, one who grinds the grain and turns it into flour, and the same would be done to herbs in their process of turning the herbs into dye. Hamurakid and sifting, putting the flour through a sieve so that the fine bits of flour go through, whereas the heavier bits stay on top of the sieve. Now the Gemara notes that three of the Malochas which we have discussed so far are really aiming to do a very similar purpose, that is, to separate out the parts which you don't want from a mixture. Those three were winnowing, where you throw it up into the air and the lighter parts get blown away. Secondly, we had Burer, and thirdly, we now have sifting the flour. So the question is, why do we have three different malachas? Surely it can all be part of one category. And the answer is that since they were all done at different stages in the processing, for that reason they are considered to be three separate and distinct malachas. Be it as it may, number 10 is the halosh, kneading the flour into dough, so adding water to the flour and then kneading it until it, until it turns into one solid dough. And number 11, the ha'itha, one who bakes the bread, and the equivalent when it comes to the herbs, would be cooking them into dye. So as you mentioned, the first 11 malachas were the steps in order to make bread, or dye, and the next 13 malachas are the steps which are done in order to produce the cloth which was used in the Beis HaMikdash. And we go right from the beginning stage, which is Hagiz Zatzemer, one who shears a sheep, he cuts the wool off the sheep, Hamalabnai, one who whitens and cleans that wool, the Hamanaptsai, one who combs it and makes it smooth, the Hatsuivai, dyeing the wool, the Hatoivai, spinning the wool into thread, and the next three malachas involves the process of weaving, and the main idea of weaving is that there are many threads going in the same direction. Those are known as shesi threads, and then there is one long thread known as erev, and that is woven across the shesi threads. So it would go over one shesi thread, and under the next one, over the next one, and under the next one, until it got to the end of the line of shesi threads, and then he would bring it backwards again, over, under, over, under. Now to do this manually, by hand, and to try and lift up every other chassis thread, bring the Erev through it, and put it under the next one, over the next one, it can be quite complicated and quite inefficient. So in order to solve this problem, weaving machines were used, and this consisted of two wooden frames, and inside the wooden frame would be strings going from one end to the other, and in the middle of each string would be a sort of ring, and in this ring would go the chassis threads. And basically, each of the wooden frames would be placed opposite each other, and if you imagine you've got 20 chassis threads which are next to each other, so every other chassis thread would go through a ring in one frame, and the other ones would go in the other frame. So for example, chassis thread number one, number three, number five, number seven, they would go through the rings of one of the wooden frames, and the second one along, and the fourth one, and the sixth one, and the eighth one, those would go through the rings on the other wooden frame. And then they were placed opposite each other, both these frames, and then all you had to do to weave the Erev thread through all of these chassis threads was to lift up one of the frames, and that would end up lifting every other chassis thread. You would pass the Erev across all of the chassis threads in one go, and then you would lower that one and lift up the other wooden frame, and then bring the Erev across the entire chassis threads over there, and that was a much more efficient way to weave the Erev through the chassis by lifting up lots of the chassis threads in one go using this wooden frame. So now the mission lists those steps which we just described, the Hamisech, and this refers to when you have two bars 
which are placed parallel to each other, and those bars would hold the chassis threads. So the ends of each of the chassis threads would be tied to those two bars. So that's the first step. One who sets up two botenirin, which refers to the strings which are on the frame, the wooden frame. If you set up two of those thread, th those strings, that would be the next melacha. One who weaves two threads, so that would refer to bringing an Erev across all of the chassis threads, and then back again, that would be considered weaving two threads. And the Mishnah adds that just like that is forbidden, so too the hapitzeash nechotin, one who removes two threads, for example, if he undoes that Erev twice along, he undoes what he just did. So as long as he is doing so only for the sake of improving the weaving, for example, if it was woven too tightly, and that's why he wants to remove a couple of the threads, that would be considered a creative thing and thus also forbidden. Continues the Mishnah, Hakoisher, one who ties a knot, and the reason why this has to do with preparing the cloth in the Mishkan is because many of the cloths were dyed with the dye of the Chilozin fish, and the dye which comes from this fish is known as Techeles. And in order to catch the fish, they would use ropes, and in order to make the ropes into a net, they would tie the ropes together. The Hamatir and untying, sometimes if the nets weren't tied exactly as they should have been, then they were untied. The Hatoifosh Tejfiro, someone who sews two stitches, this means that he passes the needle through a material, and then back in again, so you end up really with one stitch. So as long as he does so in a way that it will stay there, for example, if he ties either end, so that would be considered sewing, and he would be chayev. Now, if there was ever an error in the sewing of the materials in the mishkan, and more specifically in the curtains of the mishkan, they would make a small hole in the mishkan curtain where that error was, in order that they could re-sew that part of the curtain in a neat way. So if that is why they are doing it, then one who tears apart part of the material in order to sew two stitches, meaning in order to repair it by sewing. So since that was also done in the Mishkan, that is also considered one of the 39 malachas. So, so far we've had 11 malachas in the preparation of bread, and another 13 in the preparation of the curtains and the cloth in the Mishkan. We're up to number 25, and the next seven malachas refer to the steps of processing and making animal skins into coverings for the Mishkan. So that list begins, Hatsod Svi, one who traps a deer or any other animal. A deer is just used as a common example of an animal which was trapped. One who slaughters it. One who removes the skin from the animal. One who salts the skin. He salts this animal hide. One who tans its skin. So he soaks it and then he dries it. And the truth is the Gemara says that the previous two malachas, salting the animal hide and tanning it, are really all part of the same one process. And because of that, the Gemara corrects this list and states that these two malachas are really one malacha, and you should add in another malacha which the mission does not list, and that is the malacha of sirtut, hamasartate, which refers to somebody who cuts lines, or he draws lines in the leather in this animal hide in order to prepare it for cutting. All right, and the next one is hamuchakai, one who smooths the animal hides by removing the hair, and finally, the one who actually cuts the animal hide once he has processed it into leather or parchment. Now, the next six malachas are different pairs of opposites. So, Hakosev is one who writes two letters. In the Mishkan, they wrote letters on each beam of the Mishkan wall so that they would know which ones are supposed to go next to which ones. So if somebody erases letters in order to write two letters in its place, and it could even be where he erases just one letter, but that letter is big enough 
that if he rubs it out, he could write two different letters in that place. So if he is rubbing it out in order to write two letters, then again it will be forbidden, and they would sometimes need to do that in the Mishkan if they had made a mistake on one of the beams. Vahabayna building, Vahasiser, and demolishing, of course this was done to the entire Mishkan. And Vahabayna who extinguishes and puts out a fire, Vahamavir and lighting a fire, these two things were done when they needed to cook the dyes, they cooked it in a pot on top of a fire. Alright, number 38, Hamakab Patish, one who hits something with a hammer, and the way the Gemara understands this Malacha is that it refers to anything which is the final process of a item. So even if it's a small thing like hitting a hammer on something in order to smoothen the hammer, even that will be forbidden because it is completing the processing of an object. Okay, and the final Malacha which we've actually discussed the most so far in the Masechta, and it's actually the one which throughout the Masechta will keep on coming up, and will be the focus of the next few parakim as well, and that is Hamitzim Eishus Lereshus, one who carries something from one domain into another, and with the this only includes taking something from Eishus Hayochid into Eishus Arabim, or from Eishus Arabim into Eishus Hayochid. And also included in this, as we have seen, is carrying anything for four amas along Eirashus Harabim, a public domain, that would also be forbidden mid Oraisa. So the Mishnah ends off, Hari Elu Abbas Malachas, these are the big categories of work, Abraham Chosar Achas, which are 39 in total. Mishnah Gimel, already from this Mishnah, we are going to go into the last of the Abbas Malachas, the prohibition of carrying something from one domain into another, or from carrying something for four Amas in a public domain. And the point which our Mishnah is trying to bring out is that although it is forbidden mid Oraisa to carry any amount in Erechus Harabim, for four Amas, or from one domain into another, one is only liable to the punishments if he carries something significant. So what is considered something significant? Says the Mishnah of Oikla Acher Omru, another rule the Chachom said, anything which is fit for hiding away, meaning something which is fit for use, and people generally use it, it's not something which is disgusting and therefore people would throw away. And furthermore, people would keep even that amount, so it's considered a significant enough amount, so if somebody brings that out on Shabbos, he will be liable to bring a carbon chatos if he did that unintentionally. However, anything which is not fit for keeping, for hiding away, for example, if it's disgusting, or if it's something which is forbidden to benefit from, or if the if people don't keep that amount, then if somebody brings it out on Shabbos, if he is not liable, except one who does hide it away. Meaning if somebody considers this thing significant for him, and he keeps it, even though most people wouldn't consider it significant, since he personally lends significance to this thing, if he carries it out, he would be liable. But if anybody else would, then they would not be liable, since for most people it is not considered something significant. Now really, this Mishnah is the basis for the next three parakim or so, which list many, many different objects, and how much of that item you would need to bring out into Eroshus Harabim, or carry from one domain into another, in order to be liable for breaking Jabbas. Mr. Dalit, based on the rule in the previous Mishnah, Hamoitzi Tevimon who carries out straw, this refers to grain stalks, which is animal food, and typically this was the food for cows, and therefore you would only be liable if you take out enough Kimle Pipora that it would fill the mouth of a cow. 
But on the other hand, Otsa, if you carry out straw which comes from beans, then Kimlepi Gomol, you would only be chayv if you carry out at least a camel's mouthful, because this is the camel's food. Any less than that is considered insignificant, unless of course you specifically lend significance to that small amount. Omer, this is another type of straw, a different part of the grain stalks, and this was used to feed sheep. So Kimlopi Tole, you would be chayv if you carry out a sheep's mouthful. Asovim, grass, this is used as sheep food and as goat food, but you would be chayv if you take out Kimlopi Gdi, a goat's mouthful, since a goat's mouthful is smaller, so as soon as you've brought that amount, you will already be chayv. Ali Shum Valibut Solim, garlic leaves and onion leaves, lachim, if they are moist and fresh, then Kigre Geres, the minimum is the size of a dried fig, because as we will learn later on, any food which is edible for humans to eat, you'll chive if you take out a size of a dried fig. And when these leaves are moist, then they are fit for humans. But Yavashim, if they've dried out, then Kimlopigadi, the amount would be a goat's mouthful, since they are no longer eaten by humans, rather only by goats. Alright, now the Mishnah says, All the things we've listed so far do not combine one with another. And the way the Gemara explains this is that if, for example, you take straw whose amount is ca- a cow's mouthful, and then you've got grass which is a goat's mouthf- mouthful. So a goat's mouthful is much smaller, which means we are more strict when it comes to grass. Now if you combine straw which is fit for an, a cow together with grass which is fit for the goat, they don't combine unless both amounts are reached. Meaning, if when you combine them, it's enough for a goat's mouthful, but not for a cow's mouthful, so they do not combine, and you wouldn't even be chai for carrying out the grass. However, if they combine such that now there is enough to fill a cow's mouth, so in that case, since they have reached the larger amount together, they would combine, but the mission is talking about a case where they only reach the smaller amount together, and therefore they do not combine because they have different amounts. Now, as we alluded to before, one who takes out edible food which is fit for humans, Kigegeres, if he takes out the size of a dried fig, Chayev, he is liable, and continues the Mishnah, which Torfin Zemzeh, different types of human food do join together to make up this size of a fig, because they all have equal amounts, meaning whatever type of food, you'd be high for taking out the same amount, and therefore they do combine. However, says the Mishnah, the parts of human food which are generally not eaten, those would not combine, and therefore chutz except for miklipehen, their shells, v'garinehem, their pips, v'oktsehen, the stalks, the subon, and the coarse bran. This is part of the grain which falls off when it's being processed. Umursanon, this is bran which is a bit finer, and it comes off the grain when it is grinded. So these wouldn't combine to make up the size of a dried fig, since they are not considered to be human food. However, Behuda Omer, Behuda says, except for the shells of lentils, which are cooked with the lentils themselves. So even though the shells in general are not eaten together with the food, when it comes to lentils, they are, and therefore they would combine with the lentils, or even with other other food to make up the minimum size of a dried fig.